Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. It is said that men with breast cancer have a lesser chance of survival than women, primarily because they're diagnosed later, since they and their health practitioners are not recognizing symptoms of the disease early enough. My guest on the podcast today is Rod Ritchie. He was diagnosed with breast cancer, and this is his story. Rod Ritchie, you're very welcome to the show. I'm so delighted to be speaking with you today. But before we come to why it became important for us to engage, tell us about who you are and where you were going with your life before what happened happened, as it were. Well, that's a good question. Before I received a diagnosis of breast cancer, I guess I was like most people without any great medical conditions, just cruising along doing their work. Before I became involved with internet publishing, I was a book publisher, an editor, an author, dabbled in travel publishing and travel writing, which was great. But I have to say, diagnosed age 64, and I sort of thought, well, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. It's not like I'm going to have my career cut short. I, I, I felt maybe I was looking for a different direction. And if, if a disease can give you a different direction, which of course it does, then received the diagnosis and immediately started looking around and researching and finding out that this is a this is a pretty pretty unique disease in men and of course it's a genderless disease but you wouldn't think that if you were looking around um, in October when it was all pink and you, and I think the men have been blindsided unfortunately we don't think traditionally of breast cancer as a male disease did you find out in your research how common it is in men? Yes, I did find out how uncommon it is in men. It's about 1%. In fact, it's less than 1% of diagnosis. And in Australia, that might amount to around about 250 guys per annum. In the US, more like 2,600. So I very rarely come across a man in Australia, although I have some good friends that are um, a couple now sadly deceased, but I feel that well in touch with the community internationally. Okay, so talk about what that was like. You're an Australian man, and Australian men are remarkably stoic. They tend not to come, particularly at that age that you're describing, they tend not to rock up with every lump and bump. Was that what it was like for you? Look, you're completely right there. Some really Australians, Australian guys are very lackadaisical when it comes to medical matters, but because I had a family history of breast cancer, Although I wasn't expecting to get breast cancer, I did present to my general physician with a lump on my left breast and we talked about it and said, oh, we'll watch that. You know, it could be a cyst or whatever. So a month later I went back, I was a bit more concerned because the lump was growing and again, no, I wasn't, if, if that was a woman being presented, presenting with a lump, I would certainly have been sent off for a mammogram, but I wasn't. Anyway, third time lucky, I came back and uh, um, by that time I had an inflamed chest, breast area, and it, it looked pretty bad. I said, I just want a, I want a scan, I want something. She said, oh, okay, okay. But never, never was there a, a clinical examination in those three visits. And so I was flying a bit blind there, but I knew something was wrong. And of course, when when the sonographer's eyes popped out of her head, I could see she, she was a bit concerned. And, um, of course, then the diagnosis left, left um, no doubt about what it was. The, he, um, so 
was a stage 3B breast cancer carcinoma and fortunately from that very time I had a fantastic crew. I live in, um, you know, semi-rural area but great local health support services and and I have to say there's women in this business that are really good, the surgeon and the oncologist and the radiation oncologist and all the way down the line is this great team of women just ready to help you. And I was just so pleased to receive really good attention and really good treatment. So in, in the course of the years that followed, you will have met a lot of men who had their diagnosis because inevitably you'll have reached out to those people. What was their experience like? Was it similar to yours? Were they dismissed at the first presentation? Very often, yes. In other cases, not so, but that is common. And I feel that my path to being a patient advocate was really formed by understanding how a man with the disease really had to speak out, really had to make it known that it was um, something they could get also. What was it like when you talked to the family about this? Were they surprised? Were they, was there disbelief? Was there worry that you had this diagnosis? And there undoubtedly would have been worry, but were they thinking this is an odd thing to happen were they asking questions well disbelief is is the most common reaction i've got adult kids and i've got grandkids two son and a daughter um, they were obviously shocked and concerned my partner julia was also concerned and obviously ready to help in any way possible so i think most people thought that I that I was probably pretty right in a good space mentally, so they didn't have to support me there. And as I said, with such good attention and medical care here, I really just went, um, you know, it was a process after that. I, I just forgot everything else and just spent most part of a year in treatment. So thinking about it in terms of the support structures, you know, you'll have gone to appointments, you'll have gone to clinics, you'll have gone for follow-up, for example. You will have been surrounded by mainly by female patients and by female staff. What was that like for you as an Aussie man? So you head for appointments. Uh, if it's a mammogram or a scan, you're often, there's only pink gowns, which is fine. You know, pink's not a bad colour. Um, sometimes you're sitting waiting and they're assuming that maybe your wife's coming along or, you know, what are you doing here? But that's only initial initial reaction. Once you're in the system and you obviously with infusions you're heading back regularly in my case every three weeks and um, the radiations were every day we did neoadjuvant treatment so we started with the chemotherapy which shrank the tumors the breast surgeon then was very happy to do her work and i i, I quickly just forgot that i was necessarily a man <laughs> with the disease i was just more of a person but if you were talking to the health services now about how they respond to male patients who present with this condition, what do you think are the lessons that could be learned from your experience? I think the lessons, when I've spoken to the health professionals, the lessons they've learned is that men need to be assumed as patients for breast cancer. There's a lot of talk about the genetics these days and of course, I was tested. I found to have a, a BRCA1, but a variation of unknown significance. But what I've learned from the professions is that they're saying, well, you should get your daughter checked, should be in a screen. Yeah. And I say, yep, that's good. 
and they say, what about my son? Well, hello, um, you know, my son has an equal chance that genetics are passed on 50% from each parent, but unfortunately there's no screening program from my son. My daughter gets a great um, service, a letter each year and an MRI and a consult, and um, whereas my son, he's sort of on his own, which is too bad because I'd say he'd be just as liable and, and hopefully nothing will happen, but that needs to be part of the education, I think, of the medical community. You're right. How do you think your work has progressed? How do you think that those messages have been received? Who have you been speaking to and what have they been telling you? Okay, so being in Australia with a small cohort of patients, I've just decided that the best place to talk about this is on social media. I have a couple of thousand followers on Twitter. My, my tag is at male fitness, one word, male fitness. A third or more of the people that are following me are medical professionals. I'm really pleased that I've gained some credibility there over the last four or five years. I have some Facebook groups I'm involved with, but I haven't really just tried to sing the same song. I've gone and got myself educated. I was a um, accepted into the NBCC Project Lead course, which is a, gives good science training to patient advocates. That was three years ago. The end of 2019, I got a scholarship to attend San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, which is a huge gathering. If you can imagine 5,000 people there, mostly medical people. and But there was a group of us. We have a hashtag on Twitter, which is hashtag BCSM, which is Breast Cancer Social Media. So we met up there. We were given some accommodation, well, not accommodation, but a room to discuss things in. And it was such a blast to actually meet the people that I'd been dealing with long distance, if you like. And, and while, of course, COVID cut all these events out, and in fact, San Antonio was virtual and, and I did, did a lot of the sessions there, but having met the people and, you know, having a big pile of selfies to go on, was huge. Do you think we're making progress, Rod, in our approach to male breast cancer, or do you think we're still back where we were when you were diagnosed? Okay, it's. I think it's a step forward and a couple of steps back. A recent step back was a discussion amongst male breast cancer coalition members with Matthew Knowles. Now, Dr. Knowles as a lecturer and involved in the sing, uh, the songwriting industry, of course, is famously the um, father of Beyonce. He has decided that this will be called chest cancer. Now, that's that thrills nobody that I know and, and has been, been a huge outpouring of just saying no to this. You know, we, if we lose the medical community, if we lose the research community because they think, Chest cancer is something, and, and of course it is something. It's a, it's a number of cancers, but breast cancer is breast cancer. We're men with breast cancer. We're, we might, I'm not even keen on male breast cancer. I just think we have breast cancer. You know, we, we really have the same disease. We're treated very similarly. We're treated through a system that's been pretty much developed around women with the disease. I, I take tamoxifen, which of course is, is a very long-established drug seem to be handling it very well. I'm very happy with that. Gives me some security. Once you're out of treatment, as we all know, you just you can lose touch. And I and I don't have um, visits to my oncologist anymore. I'm I'm just flying free. But 
I think I'm really happy that when we do make some progress, but I'm very unhappy and I'm, I've just written an article which will be published next week on this chest cancer pivot, which I, I think we've got to stamp out. Yes, I can see how that would be upsetting for not just for males, but also for females, because essentially you are delegitimizing the name of breast cancer. Where to from here for you personally? Talk about your personal journey. After the treatment, how did your life change? Well, I think you're in shock for the treatment. You're in shock for the certainly the diagnosis. But then the treatment, you get used to that. And then once you're out of treatment, you're in a in a zone um, with a lot of people. Um, and cancers cancers are as prevalent as ever. And I just think that, as I said before, the area that I was in, male breast cancer, I was hooking up with people. We had friends. We um, one one of my friends who's sadly no longer with us. We developed a manifesto for men, and, and we wanted to sort of try and get the health profession. And I'll read these if you don't mind. I'll try and get the health profession to do several things. One is to reduce the sexual stereotyping and cut back the pink, and obviously just get like awareness is one thing, but awareness that men get it, we'd like that as well. Uh, maybe put a splash of blue in the pink. That was sort of an initial thing. I still think, you know, if someone sees a tiny bit of blue on a big lot of pink, they'd say, you know, what's that? And I'd say, well, that's that's the guys. And and when they have the breast cancer month, we hope that they put aside a day. That didn't used to happen. Now now there is a time that uh, men get some media attention, and I'm always asked to talk at this at that time of year. So I think that's positive. I think a screening program for men with with a family history, and certainly men with a genetic propensity is essential why why are we just letting the men not be screened i'm not suggesting all men i'm just saying if you've got a genetic propensity let's get some screening so then there's inclusive imagery you know have some men show some men getting it i know the pink charities are very loath to show men being in this situation because they think wow that's confusing the message but wow it might be confusing the message but it's not to people that might get diagnosed because they've understood that they can get the disease as well. So then I, th- I think we have um, building a sense of importance and belonging within cancer support groups. Now, that's happened. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to say nothing's happened. I'm here to actually say a lot has happened over the last six or seven years working in Australia with the Breast Cancer Network, and they've, they've been very responsive. They've had me at seminars. They've, they've had me... Be, be a support person for men and I, I did actually get myself trained as a counsellor. I used to visit on a voluntary basis the infusion rooms locally. So I've, I've managed to build up a quite a strong reptile skills which I would like to share and just going back to the manifesto and finally provide easy access to relevant and up-to-date information and I think that's what we need. We need the information to be there and that leads me to research and we're really not um, being included properly in research trials and um, I'm on a bit of a campaign to say, okay, all right, maybe there's some research that men wouldn't be appropriate to be in but there's so many studies and trials that get posted that just talk about women and I've really done my best 
to have this reversed. And again, um, reporting some progress. In fact, in the US, the FDA has just made a recommendation that when you do a breast cancer trial or study, you include men. And that's fantastic. It absolutely is fantastic. Now, breast cancer in Australia is a very well-known disease, largely because one of our uh, favorite cricketers ended up, his wife ended up with the disease, and uh, that is Glenn McGrath. And, and every cricket match, or certainly in the test match, you you see so much of that being promoted, the whole awareness of breast cancer. Uh, ha- first of all, have you linked with Glenn McGrath? And, and if you haven't, what would you say to him if you were to do it now? Okay, so the way I've linked with Glenn is through his foundation. And as you know, that's Breast Care Nurses, the, the McGrath Foundation sponsor, and there's 100, maybe 150 by now all around, around Australia. And I was really didn't know that Glenn's wife was a breast cancer sufferer and, of course, eventually died. But I was pleased to receive this call and a very nice local nurse, Kathy Appelt, who's known within the foundation as a breast care nurse par excellence. And she'd ring me, you know, every week at least for the first five or six weeks and was great to talk through. Now, I haven't made official contacts with the with the group, but I do see the pink tests every year and I, and I think that's great. I guess if I was to say something to the foundation, I'd say, make sure you don't forget the guys. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about it, you know, cricket is very much uh, a man's sport, as it were, particularly the test and so on. We know that women play the sport, but it's very much where men go to entertain themselves in the, in the summer. So there would be an opportunity, would there not, for someone to say, yes, we are here to support the Breast Cancer Foundation. We are here to support the early diagnosis of disease in women. But by the way, blokes who are watching, you could also be at risk. Ask your mom about this, ask your know, sisters, and make sure that if you are at risk, that you ask to be screened as well. Absolutely. That's, that's the message. Yes, ask your sisters, ask your wives, ask your girlfriends. Don't sit back and assume it's not going to happen to you because if you have a lump, get it checked. It's not a big deal and likely, very likely, it'll be benign and there won't be a problem. But as we all know, the earlier you get treated, I think the better the outcome. Of course, recurrence is a different situation, but I'm very keen that we get that message out there. And, yeah, and sports people, we, you know... (laughs) This is dreadful, but we're secretly waiting for a famous sports person to have the disease <laughs> because if they're, if they're in, into promoting that, you know, hundreds of them equal one of us. That's true, and it's not something you'd wish on anyone, but it does seem as if the population responds very well, people respond very well to their heroes supporting a cause, and that's why Glenn McGrath has been so successful you know, people's hearts went out to him when they discovered what was going on with his wife. And then the, the support for him has exponentially increased. And there's potential that if he were to pivot a little bit and talk about the disease in, in men as well, that might be hugely helpful. Indeed. And you're right. Glenn's been fantastic and it's a successful foundation that is still very much supported. And I think there's there's other opportunities, particularly in October when we all ramp up 
our activity and try to get it's a crowded time and there's a lot of messages out there and everything's pink and there's pink fun runs in fact i went to a, about this time last year just before covid started i went to an event in brisbane and i could see there was no acknowledgement at all about blokes so so i went to someone with a microphone who was talking about it and i said can i have a microphone for a minute please and and I said, I just want to mention that men can get this, and she gave it to me. <laughs> and she probably wished she hadn't because everybody's having fun jogging around and I'm saying, listen up, guys, you can get this disease too. I want you to be aware if you've got a lump, go and get checked. So I, I thought that was a little bit of activism. I haven't had a chance to do that since, but I, I, I think this is what we need to do. We need to be out there. We need to be not necessarily proud that we've got disease but not shrinking back about it otherwise nothing nothing will ever change you look remarkably well and we we very much hope that that is the case where to for you personally from here first of all are you as well as you look and what do you hope to achieve in the next five years well yes i yes i am a well as well as i look i i I don't think i've mentioned but a couple of years after i got breast cancer i got prostate cancer so um, now that's that's that goes with the territory. So I've been treated. I've had a mastectomy, but I've also had a prostatectomy. So there's not many in my gang, but there are. I have I have the names of at least fifteen men that are in the same situation, um, including and he won't mind me mentioning this, the former premier of New South Wales, Nick Griner, who has both the diseases. Now he seems to be well. I seem to be well, <laughs> but I just think. Well, you know, we just have to take what comes. But I really consider the prostate cancer far less than the breast cancer. And of course, I don't need to be a man promoting, you know, awareness of breast cancer, uh, uh, rather of prostate cancer. But I think there's plenty of opportunities where you could say, well, if you get breast cancer, you can get prostate cancer. And if you get prostate cancer, you can get breast cancer because there's a, something like a 15% chance that a man with either of those will get the other. Rod Ritchie, you are, as they say here in Australia, a legend. And we're so very pleased that, uh, that you're well and that you're doing so much to make a huge difference for men who might get uh, breast cancer in years to come. I'm sure that anyone who's listening will echo those sentiments. And we very much hope that you'll come back and speak to us about your progress in another year or so. Well, I'd just really like to thank you and your team for being so assiduous in keeping on to the different aspects of health. It's not all just clinical. There's so much to making a good clinician and a physician. And I think quite often there's some there's there's not enough empathy with the patient. There's not enough concern with the patient. When the patient's in hearing a diagnosis, everything after the word cancer is forgotten. <laughs> so then you're going home and you're you know you're searching the internet madly. But I just feel that if you can continue letting the profession know that there's a lot to patients, a lot of patients come from different areas. They're very, they're often very smart people. I just know some amazing people, and we might not have a medical degree, but we've got a lot of common sense and we've got a lot of ability to help each other. And we'd like all the help we can get from the profession. Rod, you've just articulated our mission, and we thank you so much, and thank you for that encouragement. We only do it because we know that it makes a difference. We do it because that's why we go into medicine and that's what we say to people. 
you go into medicine to serve, and that's uh, we're pleased that we're able to do that. Thank you. Well, thank you. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com. <laughs>